I'm going to break with tradition here. Uh, I have some talking points, but I'm not going to use them. That's actually not breaking with tradition, <laughs> although it scares my staff. Um, my understanding is that uh, you as a group are interested in how do you enlist uh, the energy and innovation of the private sector in order to uh, carry forward things that are important to all of us. Is that, is that the gist of it? Good. Okay. Um, so uh, very few brief remarks because I want to be all uh, discussion. Uh, in the end, in, in, in the United States and, and the rest of the world, and most of the rest of the world, um, if you look at the resources the private sector has compared to the public sector, um, it is mostly in the private sector. You look at the speed in which uh, one can respond to things, it's in our country in the private sector. And so uh, the ability to take that private sector and move it in a direction, um, you know, if you just leave it alone, it will do its own thing. Uh, something so um, uh, completely free, unadulterated um, uh, free enterprise uh, has issues. Um, uh, we just went through one of the issues the last two years <laughs> in a slightly un under-regulated way of uh, people finance things. Um, so, so it's not that it's all free enterprise, but I think the thing I want to impress upon you is that what I think government policy does is it, it's little tilts. Uh, you know, a small rudder can turn a very big ship if applied in the right way. Um, because in, in, in America, if you want to do something like, you want to stimulate the innovation that will unleash the ability to create and deploy things we need to do in order to solve our energy problem uh, and our climate change problem. Uh, it's best done by giving conditions that tell the private sector this is where we want to go and let a lot of that ingenuity uh, go in that direction. And so I'm a big believer in that and this is in part what we're doing. There are a few things that the government does do uh, because it fills in holes and one of them is research and development in areas that don't traditionally have invested in research and development. Um, uh, and that would include the energy. Uh, if you look at um, how much money we spend on energy, just primary energy, how much we spend on natural gas, oil, coal, uh, just, you know, the, that. Uh, it's over a trillion dollars. In the future is we have to work to limit our carbon emissions and uh, we have to limit it by roughly 80% by mid-century it will necessarily have to be high technology solutions that give us some of the tools to do this. So if you think of the future energy use and generation, use meaning uh, you get rid of these incandescents <laughs> as example, that incandescent <laughs> example. Uh, <laughs> um, there are very efficient LED spots that are, are 30 times better than that. <laughs> and none of that will last forever. <laughs> Um, uh, uh, but how do you accelerate the development and the dropping of costs of those LED uh, lights are something that boundary conditions can offer. So, but we have to drop it by 80%. Well, that's incredible because our energy needs 
you know, if we're lucky, they're certainly not going to drop by 80%. If we do energy conservation in, a, in the right way, we, can, we might be able to drop up by 20, 30, 40% uh, without a decline in our lifestyle. And, and so th there's technology that will allow us to build homes and buildings that use four times, five times less energy that will pay for themselves in a small fraction of the lifetime of the building. Um, but how do you get that widely appreciated and deployed? It's making money, but yet there are barriers, and we actually know this. And so the private sector, uh, when it builds a home, we know from many, many studies, you build, put in $1,000 more in labor and parts and insulation in an average home, and it will pay for itself in one to two years, depending on where the home is in the U.S. And yet we still don't do this. Okay, so that's a policy issue uh, that you, one can think about to, to do these things. So, so there are many, many things, both in the use of energy and the creation of clean energy. Um, and in the end, it's going to be the private sector that will make it happen. You can't use federal dollars or state dollars. Um, all right, with that, I'll, those are my brief remarks. And just throw it open to questions. But you do have to hold it close to your mouth, probably. Okay. Just pretend you're a rock star in your <laughs> I always get this. Ah, much better. Much better. Is this better? Um, <laughs> I forgot my question. Well, it's okay. You're a rock star. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Huh? Um, but I'm, I guess kind of if we know these things, um, the improvements and everything like that, why, like what's the impetus to make them happen? Sure. Uh, great question. So, so here's what. So what you do is what we do in the Department of Energy is we look at why, why haven't those things happened? Well, you know, reason number one, just plain inertia. Can't be bothered. Um, and it, it, there's a, there are barriers to this. It's not just I'm lazy. It's the real barriers. Most homeowners actually don't know how to improve the energy efficiency of their homes. They're not willing to spend several weekends to, to Google around to find out um, uh, what to do. Um, they may be, they don't have five, ten thousand $10,000 to making this investment of, of upfront costs. Uh, so there's a could be a financial barrier. Uh, so what we are trying to do is we're piloting programs where, and then there's another thing in that we also want to make energy efficiency um, a social norm, uh, that you know, you're going to feel good about yourself if, if you uh, save energy. So what we're, for example, trying to do is say if we can get a neighborhood, you know, a block, to talk to each other and say, you know, if a third or a quarter of us sign up for a person to audit our home, tell us what we need to do with whatever price tag, $3,000, $5,000, uh, and we can get that order to come in and order to just down the block, and then we can get the people blowing the insulation sealed, the, the windows and ducts and everything else. That's a form of mass production that hopefully will decrease the cost by a factor two, but it does much more important things. If you can get the groups doing this, that the homeowners have confidence that they're going to do a job and they, they will save money, then you say, just sign me up. So it becomes spending weeks and weeks and weeks getting estimates, people tramping through your home and going back and forth to, no, we know that this group, we have confidence that this group will do a good job. Um, 
Now, the financial barrier, we're looking at ways to finance this uh, so that you can get a loan, let's say a long-term loan, either th through a real loan or through adding uh, more to your voluntary, but you put it on your taxes of your home for a period of years. The interest on that loan, whether it's on increased taxes or in a real loan, are um, we feel can be less than the money you will save. So you're not out of pocket, and you will, it will be a, immediately a net money win for you on a month-to-month -month basis. So we're trying to pilot these things and, and to give people confidence that these things can happen and should happen. So, the, so what you do is you look at the barriers and say, okay, how do you surmount the barriers? Now, you notice, where is government in any of this? We just want to pilot the programs, prove that they can exist, and then throw it open to the private sector. <laughs> well, you, you, why don't you uh, do the... Is this on? Okay. Hi, I'm Kate Fritz. I'm a fellow, or I'm a scholar actually. I'm an undergrad at NYU in the Gallatin School. And um, fortunately or unfortunately, I was in Copenhagen in December and I witnessed some um, pretty sad uh, intergovernmental uh, exchanges about climate change. And it seems like uh, co cooperation between governments is um, in a bad way right now. And um, you know, you just mentioned that the private sector is going to be the path towards um, solving many of these problems. I agree with you. And um, but it also seems like you know um, innovation in the energy sector, particularly in northern European countries, in Germany and China, is incredibly important. And so I'm wondering um, if you could sort of situate your vision and um, your project within. Um, the international context and how you see tech transfer um, coming into play here and something about right. that. Thank lots you. of lots of parts of this um, comment and question. First, um, uh, let's talk about innovation. Uh, Europe and Asia uh, are essentially most con many countries have seen the handwriting on the wall. So what's the handwriting on the wall? The handwriting on the wall is is with each successive year. Uh, the evidence that the climate is changing and it's caused by humans is growing. It's not, you know, it's it's it, it's not a hoax. And you know, we did put a man on the moon. Uh, <laughs> another charge of a hoax. Uh, <laughs> and the, you know, the Earth is round. Now it's actually spherical. But <laughs> but um, so to be sure, it's a lipsoidal. <laughs> It's a, because as it rotates, it flattens out a little. But, <laughs> but, um, but there is growing evidence that the climate is changing, and uh, a large fraction of it has caused by humans. And it's more and more compelling. Okay, so, and let me give you just an anecdote. Uh, in talking to the um, premier of China about a, almost a year ago, he said something he didn't say to me three years ago when I was talking to him. Uh, about how to transition to sustainable energy. And a year ago, he said that climate change, if we continue on our path, we the world continue on our path, climate change to China and to the rest of the world will be devastating. Our increase in, in uh, carbon emissions is totally unsustainable. We are going to do everything we can to diversify, to clean up our energy supply. Vice Premier, same thing. 
okay, supported by the president of China. A very, very different dialogue than what we're hearing three years ago. They're, and so, and they're taking action. But they're also taking action. And by action, what do I mean? They're building now um, uh, the highest voltage transmission lines, investing $88 billion by 2020 to build the highest voltage transmission lines in the world to transport electricity generated in the western part of China, where their renewables are, their hydro, their solar, their wind, to the eastern part of China, where their population centers are. Um, One standalone company, State Grid, $88 billion. Now, they do things a little differently in China. I asked the CEO of State Grid, that's a lot of money by 2020, you know, that, how do your customers feel about that? He says, well, of course, nobody likes taking money away from them, but we explain to them how important it is. <laughs> it's a state-owned company. Uh, <laughs> now, we have a democracy. I'd prefer to live in a democracy, but, but, but the point is also they, they see the economic advantage of developing these technologies and they see it very clearly and they want to grow their wind and solar and they want to and so they're the leaders now in highest voltage transmission in the world that technology they're the leaders they're they've been they've built they're closing their oil inefficient coal plants they're beginning to look at carbon capture sequestration but in the meantime they've put in the most efficient coal burning plant in the world and and those are the things they're installing they're building 21 nuclear reactors of the, of the newest generations, you know, about half of all the world. It, it, it's tremendous. It's, they're growing uh, their technologies because what they're doing is they're saying, we're going to develop a home market for this. And when you develop a home market for it, you get manufacturing, you get R&D in our country, and then it's all good for export. And so because they're so moving so aggressively, a company I know reasonably well, it's a company called Applied Materials. It's in the peninsula in the Bay Area. It's a $50 billion company. It, it's uh, an amazing high-tech company. They sell factories. <coughs> they sell high-tech factories. And how do you scale up a process so that using robots and all these other things, you can manufacture uh, very efficiently, uh, very low labor costs? Turnkey factories. So they've sold 14 turnkey factories in 2009, not a one in the United States, even though they're based in the United States, because the policies uh, weren't helping make the investments in the United States. And, and uh, they've, uh, I toured a plant, a photovoltaic plant in China that applied materials installed. And th- there's a myth that, oh, these things are happening because it's all cheap labor and all this. No, this was a, a, a modern roboticized plant where there could may have been 100 people in the, working on it. It's mostly robots zooming around <laughs> doing things, okay? And what they did is it's a photovoltaic plant, thin film, and they bought the factory, and then they put their uh, top engineers on it and say, we're going to improve the process, make it even better, to, so we will be even more competitive, okay? Because the country... The government has made it quite clear there will be a market for this material. Now, it got really scary. I, there was an article in the New York Times, I think last week on Sunday, um, Mark Pinto, who is a fellow I know personally at Applied Materials. Uh, he's, uh, he's very high. I think he might be the chief technology officer. So very high up in the company. It's moving his family to China. Why? Because they're putting in an R&D facility 
in China next to the manufacturing of their factories because R&D follows very closely with manufacturing. It's just business. Okay? So what we have in the United States is a real concern. That's why, quite frankly, the energy and climate bill I see is, is, is really an energy and economy and jobs and prosperity bill. 